WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Rick's Tire Service, family owned and operated on State Route 30 between Roxbury and Grand Gorge. Tires mounting and wheel balancing for cars, trucks, lawn, garden, farm, and construction vehicles. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday, 8 till noon. More information at 800-LG-TIRES. 800-LG-TIRES. Home Goods of Margaretville, corner of Main and Bridge Streets in Margaretville, New York. Now carrying spices, flour, jams, mustards, coffee and tea, organic vegetables and fruits, and local eggs, milk, cheese, and baked goods. And, of course, cooking basics and tools of the trade for everyone at home. Home Goods of Margaretville. Open every day. 845-586-4177 or hgom.net. Sounds Good Music House, the record shop on Main Street in Andes for new and used vinyl, including new releases and rare titles across all genres, as well as turntables, mid-century furniture, and original artwork. Sounds Good Music House buys used records, too. Open weekends and any time the doors open. More information at 845-676-6233, 845-676-6233, or soundsgoodcatskills.com. I'm Diana Mason, the host of Health Cetera in the Catskills on WIOX Roxbury. I'm also board chair for Catskills Pathways to Recovery, and I want to invite you to the 5th Annual Community Action Summit on May 12th at the Pine Hill Community Center or virtually online. This year's summit will focus on reducing the stigma that is associated with pregnancy, parenting, and just living for those in our communities who are dealing with substance use disorders and addictions, and their friends, family members, neighbors, and employers. Guest speakers will lead conversations about these issues and share community resources available in our region to help. Attendance is open to all, but registration is required. The Catskills Pathways to Recovery Community Action Summit, Friday, May 12th, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Pine Hill Community Center or online. Information and registration at CatskillsPathwaysToRecovery.org.
Okay, you are listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones and also with the Radio Garden phone app. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane, how's it going? Good, Ryan, good. What have you been up to? I've been getting around. You getting around? Yeah. I've been watching, watching the trees. Uh, uh, ash are just starting to leaf out. Oak, hickory. Yeah, they sure are. Uh, maples are flowering like crazy. A lot of flowers landing on me. So Yeah, all over my truck. Sure are. been watching the birds, too. I saw Baltimore Oriole yesterday. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I've been doing a little fishing. I uh, went to a stream I haven't been in a few years and noticed that this beaver, man, he is not messing around. He's very ambitious, and it's a pretty wooded stream, not a, not a very large stream. Like, you can step across it, and he has fell in some pretty large-sized trees, man, yellow birch and, and black birch and uh, <laughs> ash, oak. Not messing around. I got some photos of it, and, you know, it's pretty cool watching the water line come up around these large trees. But uh, that's pretty cool. You know, things change. Beaver, uh-huh. the only, our, our fellow feller, feller, you know, the only other animal that fells trees besides us. So it just takes them a while. It just takes them a while, but they're pretty good at directing it. They really are. They know how to directionally fell. Huh. Not messing around. But we got a full show tonight. And it's called Oak Openings Region of Metro Parks, Toledo, Ohio, with LaRae Sprow. She is the Natural Resources Supervisor there in Toledo, in Ohio. Um, yeah, let's see if I can get her on the uh, the phone. LaRae, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for taking the time. And just so uh, before we start the show, it's, is it LaRae Sprow? Do I have that right or yes. no? Yes, that's right. All right, wow. How about that? So what got you into all this? Uh, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, why so, not? Yeah. yeah, so I you know, I grew up on a farm. So I think um, like a lot of kids that grow up on a farm, um, you know, that just kind of becomes a part of who we are. Um, I went to college not really knowing what I wanted to do. Um, spent a year in college, took a break. And then when I went back to college again, um, you know, growing up on a farm, you always had so much space. We had woods that we could, you know, go play in whenever we wanted to. And I think it's it's really when I was in college and away from home where I realized how critical these public park spaces are um, for people because without them, you know, where can people go when they need to you know, when when they need to be in the shade of a tree or just really be immersed in nature. Um, so without our public parks, I really realized, like, how important they are. And at that point, I really just wanted to be involved. And restoration was just natural for me growing up on a farm. You know, it's so similar in a lot of ways to farming. So it was just kind of a natural way to go. And And how long have you been there for? I've been at Metro Parks for 20 years. No kidding. Jeez, wow. that's a chunk of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it goes fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you explain what Metro Parks Toledo is to us uh, New Yorkers here? We don't we don't know anything about it. I think it's pretty cool, but in your own words? Yeah, so our Metro Parks, it's um, 
it is kind of its own type of park district, um, but it is supported by our Lucas County taxpayers. So we are supported by a Lucas County levy. Um, and so, and then it, it uses a board, there's a, there's a Metro Parks board. So that's kind of our over, you know, those, those are the people that are really helping us make sure that we are, you know, abiding that everything that we do abides by our vision and our mission. Um, but yeah, basically we are operated under a levy. So we have to you know, go to our taxpayers, um, every so many years and make sure, um, and ask for more money or ask for our levies to be, uh, renewed. And fortunately at Metro Parks, um, we have just a phenomenal support from our, um, Lucas County taxpayers. How many acres do you supervise? Um, so the Oak Openings region, so I supervise the Oak Openings region of our Metro Parks, and that region is about 8,000, around 8,000 mm-hmm. acres. Um, our Toledo Metro Parks as a whole is twelve, a little over 12,000 acres. Yeah, like there's these different areas. Like you, you, you're supervising the Oak Openings region. What, what else is there? So we have Lucas County is a really kind of place in a really interesting space um, in Ohio um, because we are in Toledo area. So we have a really interesting cross-section of habitat. So we have the, we're right up against Lake Erie. So we have our Lake Erie marshes that we, um, that we, that we manage. And then we also have the Maumee River, which is the biggest watershed in Ohio. Um, So the Maumee River goes right through Toledo and then on the north or on the south side of the Maumee River, we have what, what was historically the Great Black Swamp. So that was the last part of Ohio that was inhabited um, by by white by settlers. Um, so and that wasn't inhabited until about the 1840s. And then we have the Oak Openings region, which is on basically the other then the other side of the county, which is that just a really sandy, um, beachy region. And before we go into the meat of the show, like, is that typical in Ohio that, that the county has more, like, uh, parks and stuff? Because here in New York, it's mostly about the state. I mean, county does have some parks, some towns, but uh-huh. mostly it's a state. So is that more typical there? or? Um, I think, I mean, we do definitely have a lot of uh, local park districts. So most of your cities will have a city park. Most oftentimes the counties will have an actual park district also. And then a metro park doesn't necessarily have to be a county, like associated with one county. So a lot of our metro parks, like in the Cleveland area, um, and then we have the metro parks in the Cincinnati area, and there's a metro parks in the Columbus area. Those metro parks um, cover more than one county. So they don't have to be associated with one county. But, yeah, we do have um, you know various different metro parks regions throughout the state yeah i mean for as someone who's worked for state parks here and stuff uh your website and stuff it looks like you guys are doing a lot like you're you're you look fun which is yeah it's not as fun world, here okay right? yeah. <laughs> just so you know yeah. i will say so metro parks right now we have a really aggressive agenda um because we are trying to change toledo i mean that is one of our goals is to honestly and legitimately make Toledo one of the best cities to live in um, in the world, in the United States, um, that is our goal. So we are, and we know that Metro Parks is a you know big player in changing our city. 
um, and making it basically a fun place to live. That's fun, healthy. That's that's really what we're focusing on. Fun, healthy, natural. We <laughs> need some um, of this so, optimism over on yeah. our side of the mountain. <laughs> yeah, I, I see so your web, website. You, you, one of the things you do is you encourage active lifestyles. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, one of the big changes, we have our programming department who just really, they work incredibly hard. Um, and with a lot of um, disadvantaged youth to just, Get people outside. Anybody can go outside. So we have that philosophy. Anyone and everyone can go outside and you can, you know, find something fun to do outside that doesn't cost any money. Because that's the other thing. It does not cost any money to come to our metro parks. So, you know, admission to any metro parks is is 100% free. So um, just getting youth outside and getting them, you know, used to this idea that, you can have fun outside. Uh, and then the other component of that is, you know, people want to protect what they care about, and they're not going to care unless they are immersed and involved. So getting youth and everyone outside so that they're immersed and so that they're involved, um, and then they are going to care about our natural areas um, if they, you know, are using them and seeing the value and understanding the value. And I think just like most park, park districts, you know, the pandemic really brought that to light because, man, our parks were, we did not slow down during the pandemic, that's for sure, <laughs> at our metro park. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, some of them closed down here, unfortunately, which, and that's, I think that's too bad. I think that's when they could have been most used, so mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so let's let's talk about this Oak Openings region. Um you know, historically, what what makes it so special? So the Oak Openings region is it's a pretty small area. So it's only about eighty. Like historically, it was about eighty miles long and about five miles wide. Um, and it went from it's on the west side of Detroit, Monroe, Michigan, and then all the way down into the Toledo west side of Toledo area. And what it is, so you know, fifteen thousand years ago. We're, we live in the glaciated part of the United States, um, or the part that was glaciated, you know, 20,000 years ago, 25,000 years ago. And so 15,000 years ago is really when that glacier was retreated. And it left behind, the last lake that it left behind was a bigger Lake Erie. We call it Lake Warren. So it was a bigger Lake Erie, and that last um, larger glacial lake left behind that big sand ridge, which is what the Oak Openings region uh, exists within, is that sand ridge. And basically, it is just, it has these really dense sand pockets, and then there are areas where the sand is not as deep because wind would have kind of blown the sand into dunes and ridges, just like wind does the sand. Um, But then underneath it is this, this impervious clay layer, so it has this, like, really unique um, habitat in that you can have these real arid, you know, xeric dry species, um, but then right next to it you could almost have a species that, you know, loves water because if there's just, little, you know, if the sand, if it's, like, on the ridge, it's, it's, it's dry, and then just at the bottom of the ridge you have this, you know, wet-loving plants because of that, that clay layer that exists underneath everything. So basically, and then in that region, we have more, the one-third of Ohio's 
Ohio state listed plants and animals live called Oak Openings Region Home. So that's just like our Ohio portion of the Oak Openings region. And actually most of the region is in Michigan. But Ohio uh, really has done the most over the decades to really protect um, and restore the region more actively. What is your, uh, what are the oak species there? Is it just oak? Is it other uh, uh, nut producing species that are in that uh, environment? So, so historically, when we, you know, when, when the habitat wasn't degraded, it was predominantly oak. So, because um, it was a very fire-dependent habitat, and fires were pretty frequent in the oak openings region. So um, it's predominantly white oak, um, pin oaks, and black oaks are a predominant oak species. Um, and then we do have a pretty significant number of black cherry also, and like sassafras. So those, those, those are some of the other typical species that you'll see. Um, they used to have it, would, would have been the only, one of the only places in Ohio that had actually had a significant amount of chestnuts too, mm-hmm. or at least in north, at least in northwest Ohio, or the glaciated part of Ohio. So, so what happened then? What 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 caused it this habitat to, as you said, degrade? So that's historically how it was found or observed when settlers moved in. I mean, yeah, what's the history of yeah, that? Yeah, so they have accounts where some of the um, some of the the not the original settlers, but people that were just moving through the area, um, some of the missionaries that would have been kind of like traveling through the area. Um, there are accounts where they talk about how the area is open because it's been maintained with fire from the, the Native Americans, accounts where it, where there, it was still smoky because it had been recently burned. Um, so, you know, there are old accounts prior to settlement where, um, you know, they they talk about the openness of the Oak Openings region. And then after settlement, basically what happened is, is like many of fire-dependent habitats is, um, you know, in the 1940s and 50s, fire just kind of stopped. Once the Native Americans um, were pushed out of the area, so they were no longer using fire. And then the Smokey the Bear campaign classically kind of uh, ended a lot of uh, burning in a lot of areas, too. So, um and then the so it just became more and more degraded because of lack of fire, and then also fragmentation. Um, you know, the settlers tried to farm farm the area, so a lot of it was cleared, um, but it was bad farm. It you know unsuccessfully farm tried to farm the area, and then being so close to Lidl at this point, you know, the, the urbanization um, is really impacting the region. What what grew in and and overtook um, oak? What 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 usurped it? What so plants? It, trees? Typically, like red maples. Yeah. So mm. these areas just get overrun by red maples, and then that whole messification process begins, where then it's difficult to get fire back into the system, um, especially the wet. Because there were there were also a significant um, large patches of wet prairie in the area. And, you know, Ohio classically got, um, everything got drained. Ohio is very well known for its ditches. Um, and so in this area, because of the Great Black Swamp, um, ditching is, is a thing here. There are a lot of ditches in Ohio. Um, and so a lot of those areas also got drained. So that disruption in the natural water table 
um, really impacted the region too because areas where maybe trees typically couldn't grow because there was too much standing water most of the year, now trees are able to you know infiltrate and grow. Right. So what is it about fire that's so good for oak? I mean, um, you know, to someone who doesn't know that, you know, just listening in, why does fire yeah. produce oak? Why does fire produce oak? Um, it's a question for um, <laughs> So basically, so an oak tree is fire dependent and fire tolerant. So the oak tree itself has a really um, dense, like, bark, uh, quirky bark. You know, the bark is quirky and dense. And so a fire typically won't kill at least a, you know, relatively um, established oak tree. So if it's a baby, I mean, if it's a sapling, it'll kill a sapling. But if it's, if that tree is three, four, five, um, six, seven, eight, you know, depending, if, if it's older, it's hard for fire, a fire to kill it because it has that, that cork layer or that, you know, dense bark. Yeah. And then the other thing, and so because of that, and then the other thing is the, oak tree itself also needs sunlight so the the saplings actually do need sunlight to grow so an oak forest or an oak woodland um you know those those trees won't reach any kind of maturity if they don't have enough sunlight so that's when when those maples start to take over um you know they shake, completely shade out that ground layer and so the the oak trees can't get the sunlight that they need in order to um, like get to to an age where they can actually survive fire. Well, what does fire do to the soil too? Like right right at the ground, is it uh, anything that's key to regenerating oak? So the soil, you know, I don't. I'm not a soil scientist, so I'm sure there's a whole you know a bunch going on in the soil that I'm not even aware of. But really, what we want in the oak openings region. Um, is we want our soils to be less organic. So we don't really mm. want the really organic soils. We want that that top horizon to be, you know, that top organic layer to be really, really thin. So mm. that is the ideal um, situation in the oak openings region is to have that thin. But the, but the micro, microbes, though, in a, you know, those, those soils, um, you know, the sun, the blackened, um, earth, you know, gets heats up sooner in the spring, um, so it kind of expands the growing season a little bit. And um, the there are a lot of uh, microbes in the soils that are really important for some of the species to survive, especially those savanna species. Um, there's a, a lot of microbial um, symbiotic relationships in a lot of the oak savanna species. Uh, forb type species. Larey, is that because oak, you know, those thinner soils, um, it just, if it was thicker soil, rather, it just can't compete against other plants? I, that I am not sure. I like just if wonder that, if that's if, it. You know, I don't know. It seems yeah, like it. I, that I am not, I am not sure. Yeah. You said, <laughs> yeah. you know, what's interesting, I was reading your, your website and something I didn't think about, but when the soil is blackened, it lengthens the growing season. Which is really yeah. important in our, you know, from your neck of the woods to our neck of the woods, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the like right now, so something that's interesting. So we have a lot going on in our metro parks right now. We just finished our walleye run. So it's, that is one of the things that um, brings a lot of people from a lot of different areas to Lucas County. And right now is the biggest week in birding. 
Um, so we have people coming from all over the world right now because we are um, the proximity of the Oak Openings region and then also the uh, Lake Erie, and we have a migratory path that runs right over Toledo. And so um, we have people from all over the world that come for our biggest weekend birding. And then, but, you know, during, anyways, because we have this, and then we also have the Green Ribbon Initiative, which is the initiative um, of collaborative collaboration of people that are protecting the oak openings region we have that that's going to be our big blue week celebration that's going to be happening next week and i got a phone call that wanting to know where to do the lupin walk so lupin is a one of our you know signature plants of the oak openings region and it's the areas where we burned where the lupin is blooming now Hmm. because of that extended um growing season amazing um going to take a break uh, i want to ask Lorraine next about you know back up a little bit and talk about real briefly fire in general but if you're just tuning in you're listening to from the forest tonight's topic is oak openings region of metro parks toledo ohio with Lorraine sprow i'm praying for rain in California So the grapes can grow And they can make more wine And I'm sitting In a honky in Chicago With a broken heart And a woman on my mind I match the man Behind the bar For the jukebox And the music Takes me back to Tennessee When they ask Who's a fool In the corner Crying I say A little old wine drinker Came here last week from down in Nashville Cause my baby left for Florida on a train I thought I'd get a job and just forget her But in Chicago, a broken heart is still the same the man behind the bar for the jukebox and the music takes me back to Tennessee when I ask who's a fool in the See, 
Dean Martin can sing country just fine. If you're just tuning in, this is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Tonight's topic, Oak Openings Region of Metro Parks, Toledo, Ohio, with Larray Sproul. Larray, what makes fires in Ohio different than what everyone hears about in the western United States? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously our, you know, our amount of rainfall that we get in Ohio um, is significantly different. So, you know, we certainly just like, I mean, we just got a lot more rain. I think that's probably one of the keys. Um, and we don't have as much, you know, our habitats are much more fragmented um, than some of these areas out west where they're having wildfire issues. Um, and some of the issues, wildfire issues um, out west have a lot to do with um, some of the invasive um, species issues that they have. Um, where, you know, you have a lot of trees dying in very specific areas that create, you know, a lot of fire hazards also. What about natural fires? I mean, do you get much natural fires in Ohio, or is, are they all ignition? Is the ignition mainly, mm -hmm. primarily from humans? Yeah, so, you know, I would say almost all of our um, fires in Ohio are human-created um, fires. And that's historic too. So even um, we we are, feel pretty confident um, that even historically, the fires that um, maintained the prairies and savannas of Ohio were you know maintained by Native Americans. Um, we don't think that there were very many fires that were ignited through like lightning. Um, we think that the Native Americans understood the value of the habitat. Um, they got a lot of really important um, berry foraging from the areas where we use fire um, hunting because, you know, it creates the, that open forest, open prairie habitat. So hunting was a lot better um, in areas where they burned. So they realized definitely the ecological value of fire. Yeah. So you mentioned that the fires were kind of suppressed in the 40s and 50s. Um, when did that end? You know, when was that uh, ban kind of lifted what changed um so i think really what happened is there were a lot of ecologists that started to recognize the value what was happening right mm -hmm. what is happening because of the, the loss of fire in some of these habitats so um ecologists that were studying oak woodlands realized that wait a second we don't have oak regeneration in these oak woodlands any oak dominated habitat where we're not using fire. We were losing our prairies and savannas because of loss of fire. Um, you know, these the woodlands turning into these, you know, predominantly maple woodlands, we were losing a lot of a lot of species um, that are dependent on oak trees. So I think that ecologists seeing the losses there, you know, really stepped up and said, hey, you know, we need people, we need managers, our state forests, our, you know, our federal forests, we need people to start using fire again. Yeah, well, foresters have been complaining about it for a while. They must, mm -hmm. must not have as much influence than ecologists, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, how about deer? Uh, was deer a big impact to the regeneration of oak? Yes. So we started doing a deer culling program, oh, now I can't remember how long it's been, five years ago maybe, is when we started at our Toledo Metro Park. 
And there are a lot of park districts that have been doing it for longer than we have. And we have seen really big improvements in our oak regeneration and just our just our spring ephemeral um, populations are rebounding like incredibly. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how many more spring ephemerals we have now um, after now that we started to control our deer population. Cool. That's amazing. So since 1988, you, you all have been burning. Is that right? In, mm-hmm. in the oak yeah. openings? Yeah. So we start, I should, yeah, Metro Park started burning again in 1988. Okay. Um, and we've pretty, pretty much actively been using prescribed burning since then. I don't think there really was never a point in time where we, you know, took a break or kind of stopped. All right, let's let's go into that because that that's most interesting to me personally is is how this fire is done because um, New mm-hmm. York is is not friendly towards fire whatsoever, but Ohio's not that much different than than uh, than New York in some ways. We have a lot of red maple coming into areas that yeah. were pyrogenic or are are pyrogenic. So, how is that done logistically? Um, you know, any prescribed burn, you have a prescribed burn plan. Um, we have we have trained staff. We have a prescribed burn manager, and you have trained staff that are actually implementing the burn. Um, you create burn breaks. So you create those breaks in the fuel, right, those really important breaks in the fuel where your fire, you know, where you will control your fire, Um And basically, you just kind of, typically, you would do your ignition around those burn breaks. um, And you have as much, you know, really, you have as much staff as you will need to make sure that that fire does not, you know, jump outside of the planned burn area. So that's really the important part is that it's a plan. You have a planned burn area and you have contingency plans so that's a really important part of prescribed burning um and that we're taught in ohio is making sure that you have really strong contingency plans in place um and you're ready to implement those if you know something were to jump a fire line or fire break do you have to submit a burn plan to the county or the state how does that work so we have, so in Ohio, in the fall and the spring, we have what's called a um, open burn ban. So that's a statewide burn ban that's implemented by our um, Ohio Department of Natural Resources. Um, and that's just because, you know, that's the time of year when you're most likely to have wildfires. So that's when you don't want just your average person, you know, burning a brush pile in their backyard and, and then those can easily get away because that's when, you know, fire can most like wildfire can most likely happen but it's also when you want to do a prescribed burn we have to um we have to apply for a permit from odnr from our ohio department of natural resources um and able to be able to do any kind of open prescribed burning and then we have to have a prescribed burn boss so something that that is trained in place to you know submit those those prescriptions or to have those prescriptions and then we have to provide a notification to the Ohio EPA. So we don't have to get permission from the EPA, but we do have to provide them with notification. Um, and then we have to have support from our local fire department. So, um, you know, what the local, the local fire departments can, you know, request whatever they want. So whatever, you know, whatever, if they want 
they can, you know, each one can have their own their own different kind of like rules as far as what what information they want to have. But without that support of your local to fire, fire department, you would not be able to do a prescribed burn. Is the culture obviously in your area? It might be a little friendlier, but is it friendly throughout the state, or is it just just where you are? Um, I think for the most part. I mean, we have so on. Um, during prescribed burn season, we have weekly phone calls that that we um, that we do throughout the state, where we have you know the, the feds, um, the state, any metro park or local park that does prescribed fire. It's basically an opportunity for all of us to, you know, on a Monday morning to call in, chat, say, hey, what do you have going on this week? Um, what kind of help do you, maybe do you need? Um, just so that we have a sense of what's going on throughout the entire state and or are you having any problems? You know, what, what, you know, what's kind of happening? And we had a lot of, of, um, prescribed burning go happening in Ohio this year. So certainly, I mean, everyone has, you know, certain individuals that are vocally oftentimes maybe against prescribed fire. Um, but there really aren't any places in Ohio, I don't think, right now where um, that's gaining a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had our fires are done really safely. Um, so, and you know, I think they also do see we have small wildfires. We don't, you know, most of our wildfires are not big, but certainly we do have, you know, the the homeowner that was burning um, a burn barrel or whatever that gets away or a leaf pile. And um, I like to think that, you know, the local fire departments will call on a lot of prescribed burn agencies, you know, to help with some of those wildfire um, incidents because that's what we do best. That's what we do best. And fire departments, you know, are typically structural and, you know, we know how to work in woods and in that type of environment. This might be outside, you know, maybe your purview, but do you see it being done on private land at all? We have certain people that do do like can contract with private landowners. So there are people that do um, do some burning on private land, usually like through some sort of contracted work. Yeah. Are these are these people like the fire boss that you mentioned? Is that someone like in-house through the county or, or Metro Parks usually, or is it someone else? I think typically what it seems to be is retired people that, you know, maybe retired from um, the state or retired from someplace and they were burn bosses or whatever public agency they work for, and then they're retired oftentimes and then trying to kind of keep, keep that going. <laughs> okay. What are the size of the areas that you burn, and what are the fires like, and what kind of uh, weather parameters do you look for to do these prescribed burns? Yeah, so, you know, at Metro Parks, our burns are typically pretty small because we are, you know, pretty fragmented. So, the largest burn, most of our burn units are, you know, somewhere between maybe 20 and 40-ish acres. We do have areas like this last, this spring, we did one area that was 95 acres. I think the biggest burn I've ever done was 110 acres. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, kind of our normal range. Um, and we burn about, we've been burning about an average of 250 acres a year. Um, but this last spring, we burned 200 just in the spring. So we'll have another fire season coming up. So hopefully this, this spring will really, um, or this year, will get ahead of the game. Um, and, as, and as far as weather, 
you're looking for, you know, the type of weather where it will burn because you need to get the impact of fire. So in order to get the impact of fire on the benefits, you need it to burn well. Um, but, you know, there are those parameters that you can't go above. So you, um, we depend on OSHA, or not OSHA, um, NOAA to uh, give us, like, fire weather reports. Um, and, you know, if your humidity is too low, you don't want to burn. Um, if your winds are above a certain mile per hour, you don't want to burn. If your temperatures are too high or too low, you might not want to burn. So it's really kind of finding that sweet spot, which is not mm-hmm. all, there aren't that many days where you really have that, that, you know, the exact weather, um, to put, you know, to use prescribed fire, um, that makes sense. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is Oak Openings Region of Metro Parks, Toledo, Ohio, with Larray Sprout. Um, what about invasives in fire? You know, do you have problems with that, with flare-ups afterwards? Um, but, you know, so we use fire to, to really control our invasives. Um, so that's our one of the goals of prescribed fire is to actually help us control our invasives. Um, most invasive plants you're not going to kill with fire so especially your woody plants um you might what we call top kill so you might top kill them but you're not actually killing the root system but you are at least knocking it back um to a stage where where it's young enough or small enough that maybe it's not gonna not gonna seed and also especially if it's a woody plant you're knocking it back to a stage where maybe it's a lot easier to use an herbicide on or something like that there are certain plants like Japanese barberry. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably one of the few plants that you can actually kill with fire. So I've been um, pleasantly surprised at how well um, prescribed burning will legit, you know, it will kill Japanese barberry. <laughs> um, so that's good news. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have Japanese barberry here and uh, we treat them. Uh, all sorts of ways, primarily with herbicide, but it looks to me that like a bush that just wants to uh, mm-hmm. ignite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you can get a good hot fire in a Japanese barberry patch, then um, you won't have to use herbicide the next year. <laughs> what do you think about uh, burning in ticks? Have you seen any results from that? Never thought about it. Uh, like whether or not it reduces ticks? Sure. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that I've ever... I mean, if you're killing barberry, you would be reducing the tick population, right? Because there's yeah, a lot you of think research. so. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of research that shows that, you know, dense barberry patches increase the tick population. So certainly, um, if you are able to kill the types of plants that um, tend to harbor ticks, you would be reducing that population. So that's a win-win. <laughs> how are the ticks in, in Ohio? Or, or I guess a better question is maybe how are they in the oak openings area? <laughs> oh, we have ticks. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have as many of the tick species that um, that carry uh, Lyme disease as you guys have, uh, probably in New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you guys have a lot. So that's starting to become a little bit more prevalent in Ohio, um, but we do not have as many of those tick species. No, good um, for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I have Lyme disease right now. This is a good <laughs> chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. 
So, yeah, you uh, supervise the burnings on these oak opening regions. Um, how necessary is fire uh, in these other regions, like the prairie or the savanna regions? So the, yeah, so the oak openings region, so what we call the oak openings region in Ohio is really a combination of a lot of different habitats. So we have um, five globally rare habitats within that region. So the tall grass prairie habitats that we have are globally um, rare. We have these oak, it's called a twig rush wet prairie that's globally rare. We have our oak savanna um, habitats, which is like a in a barren, like black oak barren, lupin barren habitat, which is global, which is globally rare. So all of the oak openings habitats, all of the habitats in that region are all fire dependent. Mm. Um, there's not a habitat in the, re- I mean, there, there's very few, there's some, a little bit of floodplain habitat from some of our main rivers that run through the region that might not, you know, carry fire well or may never have historically carried fire well, but for the most part, it's all um, prairie, savanna, um, barren, or just oak woodlands, right? So it's all, we also have what are called like oak flatwoods, like flatwoods community, which are the swamp, swamp forest communities that exist at the base, like the ridge of some of these really big sand dunes, all the water that came off of those sand dunes um, then create this kind of real swampy forest. Um, so those flatwoods communities are predominantly oak um, too. So those wouldn't have burned often, but enough that you would have you know, some oak species in there. So you've been there for 20 years. Um, it seems like people, at least here in New York, understand that the concept of protecting something and not doing something. But what you're saying is, it seems, is this restoration thing where you're you're mm-hmm. doing something to preserve something. Is that yeah. resonating? Are people understanding the difference? I mean, because that's a big that's a big paradigm it's shift. Big and, difference. Yeah, it's a big difference. I know when I first came out of college, you know, in that that realm of I am, you know, I am going to protect nature. And one of the first things project I worked on at Metro Parks was a savanna restoration project, and I was cutting down trees. I would have never thought I was going to be doing that. Um, you know, coming out of college, like, you know, right. I <laughs> thought I was going to be protecting nature and now I'm cutting all these trees down. Um, so, yeah, I think I do believe that most people understand because we we put a lot of effort into education. So, um, you know, we have a really good relationship with our um, local, local TV station and we have um, little snippets of of you know nature news or whatever metro parks news on tv at least weekly um oftentimes it's multiple times a week um so you know we're out there in that way um we're out there with a lot of nature programming we always have people we had a tornado that went through our oak openings region um at our at metro at oak openings metro park in 2010 and we had people that wanted us to just leave it alone like just that nature, the tornado was nature. You just need to leave it alone. <laughs> um, and it was a mess. Um, and so, yeah, you always have those people that, you know, preservation is doing nothing. But 
in the oak openings region, if we do nothing, then we lose everything. Um, so I don't think, and I, you know, the naturalist, the naturalist community, we have a really strong naturalist community in the oak openings region. Um, we have two colleges, like Bowling Green State University and the University of Toledo, that do a lot of research in the oak openings region. Um, so I think we have just a really, you know, firm understanding that they trust us. And I think that's really what it is. They, you know, our community trusts trust the Metro Parks. So if we believe in it and we think it's the right thing, um, then they will jump on board. Mm, that's amazing. Um, what about um, pollinators and fire? We hear a lot about pollinators in the media. How does how does your mm-hmm. your efforts there influence that? Yeah, so that's something that you know we actually are really concerned about because um, you know pollinators don't survive fire. You know, so that's one of the, some of those species that you're so your insects typically, in a lot of ways, are not gonna you know if they're if they're eggs or if they're overwintering in the stems of a plant or in the leaf litter, or if their eggs are in the stems or a leaf litter, um, they're typically not going to survive a fire. And so that is why it's so important for us to have what we call these refugiate areas or, um, you know, so within a burn unit, historically, they used to try to kind of burn everything now. We just, if it didn't burn, it didn't burn. It wasn't meant to burn. We don't try to try to go burn it if it didn't burn. And then the other thing is just making sure that we're burning an area. So if we have a, like one section of the park where we have a relatively large, um, contiguous prairie, we might only burn a third of it, you know, so, so every, every year you're only burning basically one third of that, you know, connected prairie unit so that you're not so that you're protecting all of those invertebrates that that live in that area. But then by burning and by by actively managing though our biodiversity, our plant biodiversity is incredible. So we are able to support um, an incredibly an incredibly diverse you know amount of species um, in our prairies and savannas. Yeah, because you might lose um temporarily i would think pollinators but you might be getting more nectaries flowering plants right. yeah i don't know exactly yeah right yeah that's exactly what happens so you're supporting more you just have to make sure that you're not that you're not you know killing it all <laughs> like in the process you have to make sure you know in that by supporting it you have to make sure you're doing that rotational burning um so that you so that all those populations can persist so that your insect populations and other invertebrates invertebrate populations can persist. So 20 years from now, uh, is there new challenges that are on your radar? Is it just more of the same? Is, is there anything you expect positively or negatively with the region? Um, you know, one of our, you know, we expect, like I kind of said before at the beginning of the show, we do expect Metro Parks to change Toledo. We expect Toledo to be you know, a place where people want to live and want to stay. We expect, you know, people to grow up here and want to stay here. So, you know, if we continue in that way, certainly urbanization, you know, will will be a, potentially a part of that. So we are also very committed to, you know, we have a kind of a, a very 
cohesive and um, targeted plan as far as where, you know, what is important for us to protect. So our river corridors, our oak openings region, you know, really, how are we going to protect water? You know, what is important to protect? So, you know, protecting Lake Erie, protecting our watershed, um, you know, how can Metro Parks do that? So in 2000 and, oh, now I can't remember what year it was. Three, I want to say it was 2003, we actually had passed a levy that was only for land acquisition. So our taxpayers actually passed a levy that said, yes, we will support Metro Parks using this money only to buy land. Um, so at that point, we were connecting the Oak Openings region. So we had, you know, our park in the Oak Openings region, but those parks weren't connected. We had a plan to connect those Oak Openings region parks. Um, and then we have the Nature Conservancy in there also in one of some of our Ohio State preserves. Um, so, you know, connecting all of those together so that we have one contiguous habitat. And we have. Like, over time, we actually are connected now. Some of the connections are small, but we are legitimately connected. Um, and then at Metro Parks 2, we had a plan to, um, we wanted to make sure there was, that there was a Metro Park within five miles of all Lucas County residents. So um, that was, I think, a really unique, um, I think it's a really unique vision of our Metro Parks. Because I noticed, like, if you look at a lot of park districts in urban areas, a lot of times it's like called the green, it's like a green necklace. Hmm. So there's this kind of necklace this green necklace or this kind of green, you know, the parks oftentimes occur, are in that outer, you know, more suburban edges of larger cities and, and larger urban areas. And our parks really are not a ribbon. They are, you know, within the county um, so that, you know, you are within five miles of a, of a metro park. Yeah, uh in the beginning of the show, you mentioned uh, chestnut being a component of that forest. Um, you're probably familiar with the uh, chestnut transgenic chestnut project at uh, SUNY Environmental Science and Forestry School in Syracuse, New York. Um, there's a lot of excitement for that, but it seems like uh, you're more well-prepared to reintroduce it than we are here in New York. We do have, so actually I was in a meeting on Monday where we were talking about how we are going to... Um, reintroduce chestnuts in our area. So we do have um, some of those chestnut saplings that are available to us. Um, we have a seed nursery, actually. So in the Oak Openings region, so Metro Parks Toledo, we um, propagate all of the seed that we use in our in our natural areas. So all of our seed that we use is um, local genotype. Um, and so we put some of those chestnuts, well, those wouldn't be local genotype, but um, we actually put some of those trees into our nursery, so we're letting them grow up a little bit more before and kind of trying to plan. We're not sure where we want to put them yet, um, so we're kind of trying to create a plan about, you know, what what will we do with these chestnuts. Cool. That's exciting. Well, mm -hmm. um, yeah. LaRae, we got about a minute left. Um, what, what would you like to leave off on? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a hard question, isn't it? Like, what would you like? Uh, I just, you know, I'm just really thrilled that people are interested in nature and interested in restoration. I would encourage, you know, Toledo 
Our oak openings preserve is not, you know, we don't have mountains. Um, we don't have canyons. Um, but we always say that the oak openings, it's in the details. Uh, we have cactuses. <laughs> we have prickly pear cactuses in Ohio at oak openings. Um, so it really is in the details. Um, and it's a special place. And I would encourage anyone. I don't think people oftentimes consider Toledo like the place to go visit, but um, like on a vacation or something. But it really is a changing um, city, and there's a lot to do in Toledo. Um, and our Oak Openings Park is one of the you know, most special um, components of Lucas County, for sure. Um, we have a treehouse village, so if you come, you can camp at a treehouse village. <laughs> so that's a place where people can stay, but we also have camping um, in our park. Um, we have a great you know, 200 miles of, of trail just in the Oak Openings, or not in Oak Openings, but in our Metro Park system in general. But um, at Oak Openings Preserve, we have, you know, enough trail that people can actually kind of do. Uh-oh. Uh, I think we lost her. Oh, no. I think we lost uh, Larray, but um, I was just going to tell her to uh, that we appreciate the, the show, and um, that's all we have on tonight's show and From the Force, and see you next week. Good night, everyone. Good night. The wine was running low And the old man came home From the forest His tears fell on the sidewalk As he stumbled in the street A dozen faces stopped to stare But no one stopped to speak For his castle was a hallway And the bottle was his friend above.